Hello, 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 and welcome once again to the Aspie Files. I am your host, Alex Townsend, and we're coming to you from our condo in Southwest Florida. Uh, we're recording from the living room today. Get the theater room, just a little break. Um, we may come back on our next episode, we'll see. But um, I want to say uh, welcome once again to our, uh, our friends and fans who are listening to the show all over the world. And I also want to tell you guys fans of the Aspie Files, that there are now three other podcast apps that have picked us up that you can listen to the Aspie Files on if you don't want to just go to Spotify. We are also on Radio Public, and we are on Pocket Cases, and we are on Breaker. We just found that out over the weekend, and to those apps, we want to say thank you for welcoming us, and um, we're going to give you guys greatness, and Spotify, thank you for giving us a shot. My good friends at Anchor, who helped... um, me set up this podcast, and uh, L'Oreal, my uh, friend who's a producer over at Cheddar, thank you for giving me the courage to give this podcast a try, and I'm loving it. I can't wait to do more of it, and uh, to my fiance Jennifer, I love you, baby, and I promise I'll get groceries after we record this episode. Um, unfortunately, she is not joining us today. She has to work, but um, she'll be home for dinner tonight, and I'm making us uh, tacos with refried beans, and... Um, I have to say, I've had them with meat. They're okay, but they do not hold a candle to refried beans. Oh, they're so juicy and tasty. Uh, and uh, we're going to put tomatoes in them, lettuce, and sometimes we put cheese in there. But I have to say, I try them with cucumbers, and they're absolutely delicious. I was a vegetarian from age 20 to 24, and while I like meat, I'm not a cereal meat eater like my friend Ben in Baltimore is. I... um. Um, have a nice day with that, folks. But and once in a while, I'll have a little steak with it. Once in a while, I'll have a little steak. Not with the tacos, but once in a while, I'll have um, a little steak. And I like hot dogs and I like bacon. But I'm not the biggest meat eater in the world. It's got to be cooked really good, or there's got to be ketchup nearby for me to dump and just you know pour it all over. That's one of my favorite toppings, and I think it livens to any uh, food that you haven't had very often, or it just adds flavor to it. Period. And I think that's what. Um, I love my ketchup anyway, or ranch dressing, but um, I think I'm more tempted to put ketchup on some of my things than um, ranch. We'll get into that in another episode, though, folks, but um, I hope that everyone had a good weekend. I hope you guys are all doing well, and um, you're taking care of each other and your families um, and staying safe during COVID. Um, it's been a... Um, this has been a tough uh, 2020 for us, I can safely say. I watched... Uh, an interview that uh, Reese Witherspoon and Kerry Washington did the other night um, for the Emmy Awards, and they literally were throwing a New Year's Eve party, to which I say, ladies, how come you didn't invite me and Jennifer? Jennifer loves you guys and Little Fires Everywhere. And I love Reese in uh, The Morning Show, um, which got an Emmy last night um, for their co-star, Billy Crudup. Um, and I love Big Little Lies on HBO. Jennifer loves it, too. She got through like, the first... She got to the, the two seasons of it in like maybe a week or in like two weeks. It's just, you know, we got, we both thankfully have enough downtime from our jobs where we're actually able to do that. Um, but um, I want to talk today about um, a more serious topic. Um, and today's a little, um, a little different than the, than the first two episodes were. But um, bear with me here, folks, because I got to... Um, I want to get this out there. Um, I want to get it out the best way I can possibly. Um, Over the weekend, we lost a great woman. Um, Associate Justice for the Supreme Court, 
for 27 years, Ruth Bader Ginsburg uh, died at the age of 87 on Friday. And, you know, she was feisty. She was brilliant. She was funny. She was witty and fearless in her uh, journey to make the world a better place. And she succeeded in that. You know, that I hope that the next generation of lawyers and and judges follow on her. Um, they, 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 they take strong notes from her because she's definitely someone to learn from. I can safely say that. Um, you know, she was um, she was a lawyer at a time when there were not a lot of female lawyers. In fact, when she applied to Harvard Law School and enrolled when she enrolled in Harvard Law School in 1956, there were a class of 500 men, but there was only nine women. Nine women. And the dean of Harvard Law, uh, who invited all the female law students to dinner at his home, asked the female law students, including Ginsburg, here's what he asked her, why aren't you at Harvard Law School taking the place of a man? And I have to imagine that that just just incredibly sexist comment from the dean of the dean of students the dean of this, this law school said that to her and the other women there i can only imagine that must have fueled her to work harder and to not take a lot of shit from other people especially from you know people like that and not long afterwards her husband um Martin Ginsburg, uh, who later went on to become a uh, a tax attorney, specialized in tax law, and he also taught at Georgetown University Law Center in Washington D.C. Um, he ended up getting a job in in New York City, so Ginsburg and uh, ended up transferring to Columbia Law School, and she wound up becoming the first woman to be on two major law reviews. Two. She was on the Harvard Law Review and she was on the Columbia Law Review, and she wound up earning her law degree from um, Columbia, from Columbia, from Columbia. And even after getting that degree, she struggled to find employment. And in fact, she even and my guess is she said that Supreme Court Justice Felix Frankfurter rejected Ginsburg for a clerkship because she was a woman. Because she was a woman. Can you imagine if a Supreme Court justice did that today? Are you, are you kidding me? They would be out on their fucking ear. You know they would be. You know they would be. Because you know what? Luckily, because of people like Ginsburg, this society can say, you know what? And many people have, thankfully, following her. I will say that. A lot of people have followed her route by saying, you know what, that ain't right. And I'm going to fight like hell to make sure if someone does this, they get punished. And if someone discriminates against me, that they're going to get punished for what they do. You know, it's, it's, it's common sense. Why? I have no, I've never understood why any kind of prejudice has been accepted in our world. I've never understood why women have been treated like crap for, you know, 
during, during all courses of history. It's just, it's just, it boggles my mind. I do not understand. I was raised by strong women, by my mother, by my grandmothers, by my aunts, and just, I don't, it just infuriates me. And what I love about Ginsburg is that she continued um, to pursue a career in this field, and ultimately, um, she ended up getting a clerkship. Um, with um, Judge Edward L. Uh, Palmieri, U.S. District Court, Southern District of um, of New York, and she ended up holding that position for two years. From 1961 to 1963, she was a research associate and an associate director of the Columbia Law School Project on International Procedure. And... She ended up spending time in Sweden uh, for research on a um, on a book about civil procedure with uh, Andreas uh, Rusielis. I hope I pronounced that correctly. If I did, please, if I pronounced that wrong, folks, please, please correct me. I um, I'm, I'm trying my best on this one. Bear with me. Um, and it was it was spending time in Sweden that Justice Ginsburg realized um, that you know she needed. She said, I. I was inspired to think a lot harder about gender equality than I had before. And she saw that Sweden had begun to make changes at the time, you know, for gender equality. And at the time, 20, 25% of their law students, one of the justices who Ginsburg uh, watched in her research was eight months pregnant at the time and still working and still working. In those days, and, and mind you, you know, several decades earlier, a woman could be fired for being pregnant. Could be fired for being pregnant. And, you know, it's just... I'm, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try not to yell and try not to cry or get upset during this because I just, you know, any kind of prejudice alone just, just, you know, just infuriates me. And when you see people fighting against it and succeeding, it just is, oh, God. This, this makes you smile so much. Uh, her first position as a professor, though, was at R Rutgers Law School in 1963. And even though she got the job, it did come with its drawbacks. Um, and when they hired her, they said, no, you're going to be making less than your male colleagues um, because – and this was the reason they said – because she was married and her husband had a well-paying job. But um, Justice Ginsburg wanted the position. She wanted to inspire – the next generation of lawyers and help them out, and she did. And when she entered academia, there were fewer than 25, there were fewer than 20 female law professors in the United States. Less than 20. Less than 20. And she taught uh, professor, of, she was professor of law, most, mostly of civil procedure, from 1963 until 1972, and she got tenure from the school in 1969. She co-founded the Women's Rights uh, Law Report, which is the first, which was the first law journal in the U.S. to focus exclusively on women's rights. From 1972 to 1980, she taught at Columbia Law School, where she became the first tenured woman and co-authored the first law school casebook on sex discrimination. She was not afraid to take the bull by the horns when discrimination was happening. She'd take those horns and say, "You are not." going to discriminate against me. You will not discriminate against my daughter. You will not. You will not. 
This is wrong. And we're going to fight this back. Because people like you do not move our society in a positive way. That's what she's saying to every single person that stomped on her. From that, that sexist punk that was the dean at Harvard Law to the people that hired and said that she was going to make less than her male colleagues. To the, you know, to the... To the court justice that rejected her because she was a woman. I can only imagine that and from teaching, it just inspired her to keep pushing harder and keep, you know, the fight going. And there was also another moment in her life. And this was the subject of um, a movie that was made recently um, with Felicity Jones about about um, Justice Ginsburg's life. And um, pull up that movie real quick, folks. Um, this is how much I prepared for this. I prepared somewhat, but I'm trying to just go through this one by one. Um, on the basis of sex. That's right. On the basis of sex. I apologize for that. I was trying to pull it up. I didn't want to say it wrong. I want to make sure I got it out there perfectly. But on the basis of sex, which um, followed a case that uh, Justice Ginsburg... Um, along with ACLU, took on, and it was a case involving, and during this period she had founded um, the Women's Rights Project, as I mentioned, and she became the project's general counsel. And one of their cases um, was a 1971 case called Reed versus Reed, which extended the protections of the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment Two women. Now, mind this is 1971, and we're doing this. It's like we didn't just, you know. And by this time, women had had the right to vote for about 50 years, about 50 years, about, 50, about 50, a little over 50 years. In 1972, she argued before the Tenth Circuit Court on the case of Moritz v. Commissioner on behalf of a man who had been denied a caregiver, who was denied, who had been denied a caregiver deduction because of his gender. And by the way. This man was taking care of his dying mother. He was an unmarried man who was taking care of his dying mother. And she also argued uh, Frontiero v. Richardson, which challenged a statute that made it more difficult for a female service member to claim an increased housing allowance for her husband than a male service member seeking the same allowance for his wife. Ginsburg also argued that the statute treated women as inferior. And the Supreme Court ruled 8-1 to one in Frontera's favor. The court ruled in Ginsburg's favor in Weinberger v. Weisenfield in 1975, where Ginsburg represented a widower who was denied survivor benefits under Social Security, which permitted widows, not widowers, to collect special benefits while caring for minor children. She argued that the statute discriminated against male survivors of workers by denying them the same protection as their female counterparts. So her view was always, you know what? Let's treat the genders equally, okay? Just let's treat it equally. When one gender is mis is above the other, that's a problem. And more power to her for finally calling that out. 
You know, and we're still calling it out. We're, you know, you know, 50 years later, we're still fighting these same, same battles. We're having to call out the same discrimination and the same bullshit that just should be pure and simple. But for some people, and particularly those on, um, in, on uh, talk radio and right-wing podcasts and right-wing blogosphere who are attacking Ginsburg's legacy and what she did in her time, you know, and are looking to replace her very quickly, mind you. You know, you should know this right now, ladies and gentlemen, that as of right now, turn on Fox, you turn on the right-wing podcasts like the Shapiro's and the Michael Nolases and, and Mark Levin and others on, on talk radio and, and Glenn Beck on talk radio and whatever other entities the Blaze owns. Um... These forces that do not move our country forward are looking to replace her with someone who's the polar opposite. Know that right now. That in their eyes, Ginsburg really, really didn't exist. In their eyes, if you say that name to her, it's like the plague to them. And you know what? I say to them, shame on them. Shame on them. And when was the last time you fought for something that made the world a better place? Ask yourself that question. I'd love to ask people like Ben Shapiro and Michael Nolas and Mark Levin and Ben Shapiro and others. Seriously. When was the last time you fought for something that made this world a better place? When? Because I bet you can't. I bet you can't name one. I bet you couldn't. I bet you couldn't. And I... I'm sorry, folks. I'm just, I, I, I love her legacy and I love the work that she did for this country and, you know, that she, and it wasn't, and by the way, it was not just, it wasn't just gender equality that she also fought for, but she also took on a case involving the rights of adults with disabilities that I'm going to point to in a minute, um, continuing her major, her major success in 1980 she was nominated by Jimmy Carter for a seat in the United States Court of Appeals, the District of Columbia Circuit. She was confirmed on June 18th, 1980, received a commission later that day. Service was terminated in 1993 due to her elevation to the United States Supreme Court. That's right. She was um, nominated by uh, then-President Bill Clinton to Associate Justice, filling a seat that was vacated by retiring Justice Byron White. She was recommended to Clinton by... Hold on now. By then U.S. Attorney General Janet Reno, after a suggestion by Utah Republican Senator Orrin Hatch. Hmm, Orrin Hatch, interesting. Um, at the time of her nomination, Ginsburg was viewed as a moderate and a consensus builder in her time on the appeals court. Um, Clinton wanted to look to increase the court's diversity. and But I also think he saw which the work that she did in the 70s with the ACLU and what she did at, Colum at Columbia Law School. And, you know, just, he just said, you know what? I believe in you, Justice Ginsburg. And I think you can help us get this country on the right path. 
and I'm going to fight tooth and nail to get you on the Supreme Court. That is my promise. Um, pardon me, Clinton voice. I just, I channel it sometimes, and it's just whenever I talk about him. But, um, and she, for the next 27 years, took on cases that, that were not, that were, that needed to be heard at the time. And I'll give you, and I'll give you a few examples. Um, Virginia Military Institute, a prestigious state-run military-inspired institution that did not admit women. Ginsburg authored the court's opinion in United States v. Virginia in 1996, which struck down VMI's male-only admission policy as violating the Equal Protection Clause of the 14th Amendment. This is 1996 this is happening. This is 1996, and you have... A military institution that's not welcoming women? Excuse me? Excuse me? Really? It, how, how is that not, like, in the, in the book on sexism in America, how is that not a chapter? It is. It is. And she said the government must show an exceedingly persuasive justification to use classification based on sex. And they couldn't. And they couldn't. And that policy, as I mentioned, was struck down. And more power to Justice Ginsburg on that and the other members of the court that voted for that. 2007... Um, I'm going to jump around these on the issue, so bear with me. Um, 2007, Ledbetter v. Goodyear. A case where plaintiff Lily Ledbetter filed a lawsuit against her employer claiming pay discrimination based on her gender under Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. In a 5-4 to decision, the majority interpreted the statute of limitations as stating to run at the time of every pay period, even if a woman did not know she was being paid less than her male colleague until later. Ginsburg found out that the result absurd and pointing out that women often do not know that they are being paid less and therefore it was unfair to expect them to act at the time of each paycheck. She also called attention to the re reluctance of women may have had in a male-dominated field making ways by filing lawsuits over small amounts using said to wait until the disparity acclimates. As a part of her dissent, Ginsburg called on Congress to amend Title VII to undo the court's decision with legislation and following the election of President Barack Obama in 2008, his first piece of legislation for President Obama, and not many people know this, but people that supported him and admire the work that that man did for two terms as president, knows that his first piece of legislation was the Lilly Ledbetter Bay Pair Act, which made it easier for employees to win discrimination claims make, made it easier for employees to win pay discrimination claims. And Justice Ginsburg got credit for helping get that law passed. And more power to her, you know, a, a decision. I mean, these are, I've already mentioned, two, I've only mentioned a couple of cases here since her time, from her time in the Supreme Court. But you just look at these cases and your first thought is, why are we even fighting, why are these even issues? It's because America as a whole has been slow to progress. We've been slow to progress on sexism. We've been slow on it in terms of 
racism. We've been slow in reforming criminal justice reform. We've been slow in violate in res in responding to cases of homophobia. And you know, it's what I love about people like Justice Ginsburg is they are encouraging this nation to rise up. And I'm I'm reminded of that quote from Michelle Obama when we go when they when they go low we go high and Ginsburg always inspired us to go high always inspired us to go high. I'll read you another case of hers that definitely captures my attention. Um, Safford Safford Unified School District v. Reading, two thousand nine. The court ruled that a school went too far in ordering a thirteen year old female student to strip her bra and underpants so female officials could search for drugs. In an interview published prior to the court's decision, Ginsburg shared her view that some of her colleagues did not fully appreciate the the effect of a strip search of a thirteen year old girl, and as she said. They have never been a 13-year-old girl. Now think about that. They had never been a 13-year-old girl. So they can't relate to being discriminated in order to strip down to search for drugs. And the court ruled in an 8-to-1 decision, 8-to-1, that the school search went too far and violated the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution, which prohibits... Unreasonable searches and seizures. That's to those of you who have didn't stay awake in civics class, or for those of you who think you know the Constitution, but you don't. And that allowed student the student's lawsuit against the school to go forward. And only Ginsburg and uh, Justice Stevens um, would have allowed the, st the, stu the student to sue the individual school officials as well. Uh, hearing the United States 555 in 2009, Ginsburg descended from the court's decision not to suppress evidence due to a police officer's failure to update a computer system. In contrast to Robert's efforts on suppression as a means to deter police misconduct, Ginsburg took a more robust view on the use of suppression as a remedy for a violation of a defendant's Fourth Amendment rights. Ginsburg viewed suppression as a way to prevent the government from profiting from mistakes and therefore a remedy to preserve judicial integrity and respect civil rights. She also rejected Roberts' assertion. This is, um, by the way, John Roberts, the um, Chief Justice of the Supreme Court. Uh, assertion that suppression would not deter mistakes, contending making police pay a high price for mistakes would encourage them to take greater care. And there's another case I'm, I want to mention from her time when uh, during the Clinton years. That is Olmstead versus L.C. This is this, this one really got captured my attention. The Supreme Court held that under the Americans with Disabilities Act, the Americans with Disabilities Act was a law that uh, for, uh, President 40, President George H. W. Bush signed into law in 1990, which afforded similar affords protections against those discrimination as those under the 1964 Civil Rights Act. And this case, if I may, uh, involved mental uh, those with mental disabilities to have the right to live in the community rather than in institutions. If, in the words of the opinion of the court, um, and it read, the state's treatment professionals have determined that community placement is appropriate, the transfer from institutional care to a less restrictive setting is not opposed by the affected individual, and the placement 
can be reasonably accounted for, taking into account the resources available to the state and the needs of others with mental disabilities. And I want to uh, touch on how this case came to light. It came to light as a result of a case that was... Um, if I could find it right here, give me a second here, ladies and gentlemen. Um, the case started when the plaintiffs, uh, Lois Curtins and Elaine Wilson, were two women who were diagnosed with schizophrenia, intellectual disability, and personality disorder. They had both been treated in institutional settings and in community-based settings in the state of Georgia. Following clinical assessments by state employees, both plaintiffs were determined to be better suited for treatment in a community-based setting rather than an institution. The plaintiffs remained confined in the institution, each for several years after the initial treatment was concluded. Both of them sued the state of Georgia to prevent them from being inappropriately treated and housed in institutional setting. Now... Hi, baby. How are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Jennifer's home, ladies and gentlemen. Um, Hello. So she says hi. Um, now just think about that for a minute. And, and I'm going to talk from, the, uh, from the, uh, the, Asp the Aspie side of things on this case here. Um, I have Asperger's syndrome. And as I mentioned in the, ep in the first um, two episodes, I found out I had it 18 years ago. 18 years ago. Can you imagine... If I had not had my parents and if I had not found out I had Asperger's, where do you think I would be? I don't, I, that's, that's, a, that's a scary thought. And I can speak that I think a lot of people who have autism or who have Down syndrome or who have any, or any, any kind of disability that um, makes them developmentally challenged, I would like to think that a lot of them want to be treated as though they're like everybody else. I know I feel that way. And, you know, these two, these two women um, were mistreated and they shouldn't have been. They shouldn't have been. Just they shouldn't have been. Yeah, I'm sitting here going, why should we lock up people, you know, just because they have a prop, just because... Just because they have a mental illness or they have a disability. Why? Why does the institution have to be the first resort? It shouldn't be. It should always be the last resort. Always. And I am someone that lives with a disability. It's called Asperger's syndrome, as I've mentioned. It's called well, the Aspie Files. Um, but what I've learned is that my being independent, my working, my holding a paycheck trying to balance a checkbook, going to the grocery store, taking care of my fiance, taking care of my dog, doing daily chores, coming up with a normal routine. It's helped me. And it, you know what? It's helped millions of other Americans too who have this. Okay? And Justice Ginsburg stood on the side of people in this country that otherwise, if not for her, would not have a voice. I can't imagine what the Supreme Court would be like or what our world would be like if not for people like her 
who were out there shaking this place up, in this place of called the United, the United States of America, which honestly we've fallen behind. As I said earlier, we have fallen behind on what is just and what is fair in this country. And we need to wake up. And I'll give you another reason why we need to wake up. Because we have an election, ladies and gentlemen, in less than two months from now. Okay? It's, it's not that far away. Tuesday, November 3rd. Remember that if you're going to vote on that day. Tuesday, November 3rd. And also realize that there's more than one way to vote. You don't have to vote on November 3rd. You can also vote early. If you, can vote, you can vote early. You can vote by mail, which I definitely would encourage people to do if you have to stay home, if you can't leave your house. But vote. Vote. If you need another reason to vote, I'll give you another one. These justices serve on the Supreme Court for life. For life. And you also think about this. The president right now is looking at four or five other nominees to replace Ginsburg. Do you think he's going to put somebody up that cares about the same values as she does? Hell no. He's not. But here's the bigger question. Will the United States Senate actually have some restraint on this point? Will they wait until after the election? Senator Lisa Mikowski from Alaska said she would. Will other senators do so? Or better yet, Senator McConnell, the majority leader of the Senate. Do we need a vote now just because the president told you so? You know what? Depending on where the sun shines, he's probably a fan of yours. And depending on where the sun shines, he probably hates your gut, Senator. So you just keep that in mind. You don't need to kiss his ring for this. Don't think about what it means for the White House. Think about what it means for your country, Senator. And that goes to the rest of you. Do you really believe that Senator... Do you believe that Justice Ginsburg was that crusader for a better world like I do and like Jennifer does, like millions of other Americans do. If your answer is yes, you will hold off on this vote. You will hold off. And you will actually consider the person and what they've done for this world. If they do things that you applaud for, great. But if they are doing things that do not move progress for this country, don't vote for them. I'm sick and tired of people, whether it's in Congress or whether it's on the Supreme Court, not moving justice and progress in this country. We have come a long way as a nation, but we are still far behind and we need to get it right. We need to. So if you learn nothing from what I've said today, nothing, it is please vote. Your democracy and your country depend on that. And if you don't, shame on you. And my message to the Senate, if you really believe that Justice Ginsburg, if you really, really, really believe that she was a crusader, and I believe that, hold off on this vote. Hold off on it. Don't just go along with it because the president told you so. He is not a king. You think about that. 
And for all those idiots out there that are screaming that Justice Ginsburg shouldn't have been on the Supreme Court and all, I'll go back to my original question. What have you done that's so great in your life? What have you done? I just, let's make this world a better place. Justice Ginsburg did. Now it's our turn. And I think we're going to end it there right now, folks. Uh, I think I've gotten everything out that I want to uh, get out there. Um, and if you also, if you have not seen the movie On the Basis of Sex, you have to. It's a fantastic film. Uh, it's a great cast. It's Felicity Jones, Arnie Hammer, Justin Thoreau, Sam Watterson, Kathy Bates. And I was moved by it. You will not be disappointed. It's on Showtime. Please, please get a Showtime subscription and please see this film. And um, we will see you on the next episode of The Aspie Files. And uh, stay safe and take care of each other.